Hey everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of Polytechnic Boom. Sorry it's been a while um, with the session. It's actually been really hard to get people to come on the show. I am joined today by uh, local Helena representative Galen Hollenbach, and uh, welcome. Thanks, thanks. It's great to be here. You've been bugging me for a while to come on. I figured I better better get that taken care of before you started picking on me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't pick on anybody on this show. That's the other show. Um, so let's start with the beginning. You've actually, I think I've met you at political rallies mm -hmm. uh, quite often, but how long have you been in politics? What, what got you uh, well, started? Well, yeah, I try and, you know, good question to start off with. You think back uh, on on the whole uh, history of uh, how you get involved, and it always seems to start out with something very innocuous, very small, and you didn't think you were really going to be involved. And I think back to, I was a senior in high school in Missoula, when I was asked to help put up some yard signs for a state representative candidate at the time by the name of Bob Ream. And uh, he, he had me putting up some signs. I had I can remember the number of signs, but I was assigned to Precinct 55A, which was my precinct in Missoula, which was up the Rattlesnake Valley. And from that humble beginning of um, tracking yard signs and, and maintaining them for the, over the course of that campaign i've just started ever since 86 being involved in uh, campaigns and just sort of hanging around and being involved and and participating in the process and the more you do the more interested you get the more interested you get the more you want to delve into it and it just grows and grows and and the next thing you know you're sitting in the house chamber and uh, pushing the red light and the green light <laughs> sitting in the house chamber i bet that so what was it what was the first campaign that you actually ran for what was the first office uh, i well, um, that's uh, I would. I'm going to back up. And think that it was about. Uh, it would have been for the central board, student body central board, at the University of Montana when mm. I was. It's student government. It's now called the student senate, but I believe I was a junior over at U of M when I ran for that first office there, and then subsequently followed that up uh, two years later with a run for student body president at the University of Montana in 1990. Wow. wow, long time ago. Did you win? <laughs> I did win, and uh, it's um, funny how you, you serve in those terms. I always seem to have a little interesting tidbit about each race I've been in. It's uh, I was in the last, I believe I was in the last central board before it turned to the student senate, and then I actually have the longest single term as student body president because they had weird – they were shifting from quarters to semesters over there. Right, and that's, and that's what for, I was in college too. Right. So and the, and the terms didn't line up because you used to run in the winter quarter and serve spring through winter. Oh. And uh, so they shifted it to basically not – the president – See to not run over the academic year, so he'd run serve for one academic year. So I was able to serve one quarter and one academic year. And so, yeah, so I guess I had a little bit more time in office. Well, that's cool. So, but what what made you decide to be involved in politics? I mean, it, being a precinct person in high school seems a little bit yeah. out there. It's so, not common. Yeah. Well, actually, I wasn't a precinct person. I oh. was just uh, uh, I was just a yard sign coordinator for that uh, for that precinct for that, for that that campaign. Yeah, for that precinct and. Uh, that was kind of fun. I knew all the neighbors, of course. You know, I grew up there, and so I people whose yards I was sticking those signs in knew me and saw me coming around. And and uh, but it was just I was kind of doing it as a more of a favor for uh, Bob at the time, uh, and knew him as well. Went to school with with uh, one of his uh, well, actually both of his his kids at the time. So I was just kind of doing it as a favor. No, oh, that's cool. <laughs> So you fell into politics as yeah. a favor, and you've been stuck ever yeah, since. Ever since yeah. <laughs> so 
you obviously the student body president at uh, the university system is a big, big thing. And you were there when they were changing not only from quarters to semesters, but that was when they changed over the other schools to being part of the universities. I, I, yeah, part of that was when it was starting. But I think the one of the biggest things I remember from my term there was uh, the staff strike, and mm. uh, that was a very interesting process and. Unbeknownst to me, and unsuspecting, <laughs> when you run for those things, you didn't. I didn't realize that statutorily, the student body president over there actually has to sit on the side of management. And that was most the oddest thing I've ever gone through. Basically, having to go into those initial uh, negotiations while during the strike, basically, kind of crossing a. It wasn't crossing a picket line, but it was no, going to the opposite side of where you expected to be. The side of labor, which at that point in college, I was definitely in the Democratic Party, and I was definitely a fan of organized labor. And, and you were forced to learn about it from the other side. Forced to learn about it from the other side, which was a very unique uh, uh, experience. Well, I think it's it's also probably been a, a good experience because one of the things that I see as a failing in politics these days is that nobody wants to see things from the other side. And if you've been forced to see things from the other side at some point, I think you have a better affinity for what's going on. We'll get into that. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And that's a great point. And it's part of some of the sticking points of what are happening today in politics. Right. And I think it's interesting because, um, and we'll get into this in a little bit, you managed to pull off an amazing feat this last (laughs) week. Um, it's historical. Everybody's talking about it. Lots of people are confused. I, I'm falling into both those categories. <laughs> um, but I think now I have a little bit of insight as to how you maybe accomplish that. Um, so when was your first campaign for an elected office outside of school? So I ran for the legislature here in Helena under when we had redistricted the last time, uh, 2004. I ran for then House District 80. It was a brand new seat that was uh, carved out of uh, Helena. And I, I ran for that race when I was still as working as an... Ex- uh, what, what was my position? I was we're still working at the Department of Justice uh, for then Mike McGrath, Attorney General Mike McGrath. And I ran against uh, now Senator Cafaro uh, for that open seat. And we both were running as Democrats. And she uh, roundly defeated me mm. and soundly defeated me for that, that seat. Um, but... You know, you learn as much in defeats as oftentimes as you do. In fact, you probably learn more as you do in winning. Um, still, I, you know, colleagues with Mary now, and uh, uh, we get along pretty well. We we absolutely support the same uh, causes and issues. And so, like I say, it's uh, running those sorts of campaigns. You you learn a lot. Yeah. So you you ran, lost. You were in the Department of Justice. Do you have mm-hmm. a law degree? I do not. Actually, okay. I, I have a master's in public administration from the University of Montana. Oh, cool. And a political science degree, bachelor's degree from U of M as well. Uh-huh. So I was kind of leaning towards politics anyway. <laughs> it sounds like it. <laughs> sounds like at some point you got bit by a radioactive spider that had been kept in the Capitol. And... Uh, now your legal sense is tingling. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what was the first race that you won? Uh, it was uh, interesting for, for running of that. So 2004 comes along. I, I lose that election. The 2005 session happens. Uh, then the 2006 cycle comes around, and uh, Senator Ken Toole from town here was running for the Public Service Commission. Right. He ultimately was successful in that race, thus creating a vacancy in the Senate. That's when current then-Representative Christine Kaufman was appointed to fill 
uh, Senator Toole's seat, and thus the cascade of openings came. So right. because I had been so involved and run that campaign before, I run a fairly decent campaign. Uh, a lot of people got my name out, so I was I was uh, one of the front runners to replace Christine Kaufman, and I was indeed selected by the Central Committee and then sent to the county commissioners here in Lewis and Clark County and appointed uh, to fill Christine Kaufman's seat. So nice. that wasn't necessarily running for office, but that was, I was appointed to my first term. So I went through that cycle and then had to stand for election in the very next cycle, which would have been the 2008 cycle. Right. And I moved back to Montana in 2006, so I kind of yeah. caught some of that as it was yeah. happening, but... Yeah. Then I remember going, oh, my God, politics in the state has not improved. <laughs> it's an interesting process to, to get appointed to the legislature two weeks before the, the session starts, Ooh, which is I what happened to me. One. So what, Chris, Merry Christmas? <laughs> yeah, 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 pretty much. It's uh, just thrown in. Um, fortunately, you know, I've done a lot of work in and around the uh, legislative sessions, uh, uh, either, you know, starting in 93, I think. Uh, yeah, that, that session when I was a, a reading clerk at the time for the state senate. So I had a... Uh, an idea of the process, and of course, I'd lobbied up there for the Department of Justice as well for on departmental issues. So I, I knew where the bathrooms were, and I could find yeah. my way around to f- figure out where to go get copies of bills and things like that. So nice. it wasn't that deep of a of a, a rabbit hole to yeah. fall through. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it been like since you've been? You're now an elected official. You also you still work for the state. I do. I actually work uh, for the Department of Labor and Industry now down at the Business Standards Division. No, that's cool. Uh, so yeah, it's, and that's a, also a learning process down there. It's a it's a great agency to work for. But uh, this is it's switching back to the legislative side of it. It's this this will be or is my fourth term, uh, and uh, all four terms, interestingly enough, in Appropriations Committee, which mm. uh, puts me and brings me in close contact with the. State budgeting process in and, close uh, contact. Yeah. <laughs> and that, good that's, thing you don't have an allergic reaction. <laughs> the uh, it's 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 not a normal <laughs> sort of committee to serve on in terms of policy issues. Uh, it is it's not really partisan either. Oftentimes you see it's not Democrat or Republican, but it is definitely a green committee. It's not blue or red. It's green because we deal with money, and that's all. We deal with yeah. It's it's one of it's a committee where if you're on that committee, you're not on anything That's else. That's correct. It's both That's morning correct. and afternoon. Yes, and uh, and f- four terms on that. Four terms on appropriations. We haven't had any special sessions since you've been in. I I've Did had we? two, I believe, oh, okay. due to well, we had a, um, a compact issue that we had to come back in real quickly, and we had a fire season one year that oh, yeah, was really right. bad that we had to come in and get some extra. Money to pay some bills there, um, but we haven't had an, an actual like ninety day special session. No, no, and then we actually did ultimately have an ace after my very first appointed session. We had to come back, and that was the infamous uh, six pack uh, budget session where they were trying to break the budget up into mini budgets, if you will, and that the way the state budget is uh, is crafted and pulled together, it's very very difficult to do that and have separate standalone. Uh, budgets like that so we had to come back and fix that as well interesting so uh i guess that leads us up to (laughs) how are things going and what exactly did you do this last week so yeah it's it's been an interesting week in town it has Uh, you want to tell everybody what happened yeah the uh the house bill two which is the state budget uh, ultimately ended up coming out of the full house or off the house floor, as we call it, unanimously, both on second reading and 
third reading. Okay, so which, let's back up. Yeah. First off, it's House Bill 2. What's House Bill 1? Yeah, House Bill 1, uh, there are 10 reserve titles. It's even broader than that. Uh, so the first House Bill 1 through House Bill 10 are called the reserve titles, and they manage a variety of different state operations so mm-hmm. that we can sort of process and get our things done, get the session done. There's going to be a quiz after this. Correct. House House Bill 1 is uh, referred to as the feed bill, and that's because that's the money that actually runs the legislative session, and only Uh the legislative session. That's all those people you see sitting up on the rostrum. Right, so it's an approval to pay for the people that are there, the 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 committee secretaries and the the rostrum staff. Providing the live streaming, which is very cool this year. Some of that it does, and some of the the TVMT money, which is also... You're right. I agree. It's a, it's one of the best services I think we offer. It comes out of the House Bill 2 process through the legislative branch, but it's kind of split in between the two. Very cool. So House Bill 2, budget. House, House Bill 2, $9 billion all told. Um, and that, that's for two years, right? That's for two years. That's for okay. two years. That's you know, federal, state special, general uh, general fund, which is the general tax dollars. Um, and it covers all agencies, and uh, it, it is a... It took us 59 days to get it to the House floor, um, starting in what they call joint subcommittees with the, uh, between the House and the Senate. And, uh, and typically, well, it is. It's the House Appropriations Committee and the Senate Financing Claims Committee that sort of break themselves up into these little subcommittees to deal with all different agencies and their, and their different groupings. And uh, this process this year was working very well. And it this, had this, to is, have. this is what sort of set up what ultimately happened on the House floor. Um, in, a, in one of the odder uh, things I've seen happen in, in legislative sessions, we kind of started off, again, with those nasty partisan overtones when we initially took the first cut at the budget by reversing the what, what are called present law adjustments. So it was, it was a fairly large reduction to the mm-hmm. executive's budget straight out of the gate and we're all kind of looking at each other saying oh boy here we go again you know nobody can get along we can't talk to each other and and uh there's distrust starting to happen right out the gate but then we got in and started working and that's where things started happening and uh lo and behold we got together people were talking across the aisles not only between the house members but our senate colleagues and pretty soon here comes house bill 2 to house appropriations and it's actually in fairly decent shape. And by that, I mean... And you've had three other sessions to see this. Three other so sessions to see you this. You know exactly whether and it's in good shape when or we, not. When we began our work on in the House full appropriations, yeah, there were some things we w- would have liked from in my partisan standpoint and my colleagues uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle. We had some issues that we were trying to fix in House Appropriations. Can I guess? Can I guess? Yeah. The title 10? F- <laughs> title 10 is the first one. Now, everybody, you might, you, know, you read the papers, you, you get online, you see, you watch TV, you see the blog posts, and everybody talking about the budget. And the one, and it's the one thing that comes up actually ends up being one of the smaller dollar amounts that we were dealing with. It's called Title 10 funding. Right. And for the. Uninitiated out there, that is money from the federal government for family planning. and Which is mistranslated on the right as abortion dollars and mistranslated on the left as uh, cancer dollars. A, a little bit. It's, I, I, I think on the left, my side of the aisle, we look at we know what that funds. It funds county health clinics. Right. It funds 
it doesn't fund large hospitals, but it funds all of those clinics that are out in rural Montana uh, that provide primary health care uh, to families, but also primarily this is your low-income health care, and that's predominantly going to hit women. Right. Now, this is where the rub starts with the right. One of the providers out there that, that is, has access to these Title X funds is Planned Parenthood. But anybody that knows anything about healthcare knows that Planned Parenthood, while they are an abortion provider, that is not the only thing that they do. It's not their primary thing. It's not even close. That's it's not something ridiculously yeah, low, like three you know percent. It. You know it. It, it it's they they um, they are provide primary health care for for women. We're talking about cervical cancer screenings. We're talking about mammographies. We're talking about just your regular checkups with with a, a physician. And uh, it is incredibly important services that are provided. So, right. and, and here's the other thing that I, and I don't know the exact statistics, so I'm going to pull the number that I'm thinking is correct, but it could be wrong. You can check me if I am. But rural Montanans get their health care from county health. It's something like 38 to 45% of Montanans. That's the only access to health they have because within 100 miles. Because other than that, they have to drive to one of the major cities, and they just can't correct and that's uh i'm not sure on the percentages either but i do know that 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 planned parenthood is actually one of the smallest uh groups of providers that has access to the title 10 funding now we're talking about 4.5 million dollars out of 9 billion of the whole budget but it, it's surprising how it has we're talking half a percentage point really yeah the 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 partisan tone and posturing on that it's it's sad to see um but it's still something that uh that at least we and it's i should be fair to some some of my colleagues on the other side recognize this as well they come from rural montana they know what these dollars do they know that they need to get them back Mm -hmm. into the budget and uh so and i really appreciate them when they stand up and say look you got to Folks, you got to back off this the, the, this Planned Parenthood thing because this provides services that that we need in our communities. So, right. so it's not completely a partisan issue, but it is. It's the fact that this one provider has some access to it that has caused all of this stir, and that that's a little disappointing. But um, so, but it's it has caused a stir, and it's been a very loud and vocal mm-hmm, stir on mm-hmm, both sides. Mm-hmm. And yet, you still managed to somehow convince everybody to play play ball, right? Did that- you use LSD? <laughs> Was there a mushroom served on the house floor? What exactly did it take, man? You, you no, know, well, what we ended up doing is. We were having some conversations in the week that we came out of House Appropriations where it was very partisan. We'd finally sort of, we really did crack up over the Title X funding and a few other items in, in the committee. And that's like that, the first week of March, yeah? Correct, correct. Okay. And then, so it takes a week for the staff to kind of pull the whole budget together to get all of the amendments and everything that were done into a bill that we can then debate on the House floor. And in that week, uh, we start our own selves from, well, the both sides of the aisle and everybody uh, that has been involved in the process looks takes a step back, and you start looking at what did we do? Okay. Where are we? What You're, have we funded? It's your de-insulating process. Correct. You're getting out of your bubble. And 
Yes, and when we start thinking about it, and you know, this is the first time in four sessions that I've had an OPI chief, the Office of Public Instruction, the Superintendent of Public Instruction, stand before the House Appropriations Committee with a couple of amendments, but it gets done, and she says, I'm good. We're not going to try and get anything on the House floor. So that starts a, ta- a discussion. So, so everybody's turning around going, are we in opposite uh, land? What happened? Exactly. <laughs> so when you start, even from that standpoint, saying, well, what else is really here? What are we talking about? And the, the two largest chunks of the budget are, of course, public health and human services, the department mm-hmm. itself, and education. And that's K through 12 and higher ed. And we start looking at what we have achieved through those subcommittees. And start looking at it and realizing, wow, base aid for K through 12, fully funded, tuition cap, you know, money for that, and, and, and uh, the, the veteran success programs, funded. You know, so the tuition freeze is in place. Um, you start talking about Meals on Wheels and senior services, fully funded. You start talking about provider rates, and these are the folks that you know provide the services that we ask uh, uh, them to do. So the nursing homes, in particular, and developmentally disabled uh, providers, and the people that you know work on those services, fully funded. And the nursing homes and DD providers got an additional increase in their provider rates. All of a sudden, you start looking at this budget and saying, "We're serving this, the people of the state of Montana at a pretty big level." And it's, it's not over the executive budget. That's the governor's budget by that much. It's a couple of percents. And we're looking at sort of the fingerprints that the legislature has left on the budget. Uh-oh, we've got, it. We've got ourselves a, an issue. We're looking at it saying, wow, we have, a, we have a product here. Now, that being said, yeah, there's still some holes in that budget. Right. It's about, not perfect, but it's, it's, not perfect. it's interesting. And then, okay, so you get it compiled, you get it to the floor, and you've had some... That not only have you stepped away from it, but you've had a chance to get a really good grip on what everybody's done, all the subcommittees, mm-hmm. and you're able to go out and talk to everybody else in both houses, and you specifically and your colleagues in the house mm-hmm. have managed to convince everybody else that this is as ideal as it's going to get at this point, and it's time to hand it off to the Senate for for their they can put their fingerprints on it as well, and. You know, once we, you got to realize that there are two parties in each chamber. And when we came to full appropriations, we Democrats had, I think we moved a grand total of like 80 amendments, of which I think we had four, maybe five that were accepted. Of course, the biggest one being that Title X funding again. But we still have, there's some work to do in the Department of Corrections budget. There's some public safety issues out there that I think uh, leave some uh, fiscal issues for the Department of Corrections and maybe a bit of structural uh, balance issues in the budget that need to be corrected. But when we looked at it and realized we had kind of collided partisanly in House appropriations, uh, we were looking at what was likely to happen on the floor and the whole pile of amendments that were about to be offered on both sides. Now, remember, the budget's coming to the floor. That doesn't mean that everything stays in and you can just add things. A great deal of subtracting can happen as well. Right. And when you get 100 people in a room together, it's... You're going to have 212 different opinions. (laughs) That's right. And there are... And at that point, we start looking at and saying, more more likely, what 
what is the possibility? What what's likely to come out? Then what can we add back in? Right. If we start this process, where are we going to where lose? Where are we going to lose uh, the some of the the work that we've done? Now remember, fifty nine days it took to get to this point. And session is only ninety days. Right. So you've got thirty one left. So here we are, and and we've had hours and hours and hours of department testimony and public testimony. And we can't discount that. There's all of those people that have come to participate in the process. You can't just turn your back and say, nope, we're not going to do that. Yes, we had a significant portion of folks coming about Title X funding. But on, on the grand scheme of this, we looked at it and said, better to live to fight another day. We knew we did not have, dem- democratically, we knew we did not have the votes to get the Title X funding included. And, but we, we looked at the education budget and the public health budget and total and decided it was better to take what we have and uh, move it over to the Senate and, and to see if we could try even to do that, which does bring us to the point of how do we get to a unanimous vote? Yeah, how, how do you get to a unanimous vote? Because I'm pretty sure that you know, you know, government is always about herding cats. It's always sort of everybody's got their own opinion and most people have claws. <laughs> That's true. And it, it, it started with a conversation, as most things do. It was Monday afternoon. And uh, you know we'd had some conversations amongst the uh, the our my leadership my side of the aisle uh, and we with the executive as well with the governor's office saying wow how, how do we how do we want to approach the budget on the floor and then we started talking about well wait a second what happens if we just move the what happens if we try to just move the budget without any amendments and everybody kind of like ah sh- that'll never happen but then we thought well it'll never happen if you don't ask so. Right. Go ask. So Monday afternoon, I uh, uh, grabbed a chair of uh, appropriations, uh, Dwayne Ankney, in in the aisle, walking out after floor session. I said, "What would it take to get the budget out of here without any amendments?" And he did the same sort of things, like, "Well, <laughs> yeah, that'll never happen, but <laughs> let me ask." So it's starting the discussion. So he goes to his leadership. They think about it. They think, "Well." Are they serious? They sort of shoot back to us. Are you serious? And we said, well, let's check. We'll check with our folks. And once that discussion started, it just took what off. I What I wouldn't give to have been a fly yeah. on the wall in both of those caucuses to find out exactly yeah. how this played out. Because yeah. it seems, and you know, from my perspective, and my perspective is honestly skewed because I only watch certain issues. Mm-hmm. And the budget is one of them, but mm-hmm. it's one of the issues that I just keep an eye on because I want to make sure that the things that I know are important are funded. And if I need to go and yell at people, I will go yell at people. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, I kind of let it go. Um, and then I focus on some of the social issues that definitely affect the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. Um, and the rest of it, I just ignore. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to know. <laughs> Somebody will ask me a question. I'll go look it up. I'll try to form an opinion sometimes. Yeah. But usually I'll just let it go. But having seen how all those other discussions happen and mm-hmm. just watching as some people seem to uh, sabotage things just for the sake of doing it, mm-hmm. the fact that not only did you have these discussions, but they were productive and worked mm-hmm. in a session that is very reflective of last session in many ways. Mm-hmm. Uh, and last session, we had a lot of bat crap crazy. Um, and we seem to still have some of that around. And yet mm-hmm. you managed to, I don't know, it's like you managed to dance through a minefield mm-hmm. and not set anything off and win Dancing with the Stars at the end of it. <laughs> it it's, 
Yeah, I, I look at it and I say, I know that there are some partisans and people that care deeply about some of the issues that we actually left on the table. And I know that they feel let down by our actions. But it's in when we all started talking about it again, we're getting back to this, the greater good and the fact that this is the beginning step of the budget. It's not the end. It still goes to the Senate. And no, we didn't really we did not abdicate our responsibility to the Senate. Judging by the, the current makeup of the Senate, we just felt by putting the budget in the shape that it was in, in the Senate, it would have a better chance of being protected as well as the opportunity to put the things in that we wanted to see placed in it than we had in the House. Right. And from the other side of it, I'm, you know, Chairman Ankeny and I have yet to have that full on discussion about how exactly everybody took the deal. Uh, if you will, when it was offered, no amendments, and we'll just pass it on. But um, at the end of the day, I think that people looked at it. They said it's very close to the executive. It wasn't it. It for the f- people on the on the other side of the aisle, there was some concern about there being too big a growth in government. But when they looked at the final numbers of it, it wasn't really there. And we looked at it from our side, and some folks who said, yes, we're disappointed we don't have Title X. We're disappointed we don't have the correctional officer market adjustments. You know, We're disappointed that we don't have Main Street Montana to help local businesses. But you know, the five or six things that we were really trying to attempt to get in, were, were at, we were putting other things at far greater risk than the likelihood that we get those five. So, so it was it was a basic risk calculation of we're never going to get 100%. We got X percentage, and I'm mm-hmm. assuming 75, 80, think somewhere that's, in there. I think and, that's fair enough. And at that point, for that last 25%, knowing that you won't get all of it regardless, mm-hmm. is it better to step back now and take what you have and grow, or is it yeah. worth it to fight? And it takes... And, and this is one of the things that drives me nuts about politicians, but not about politics. It takes really, really courageous, brave people to say, it's good. Mm-hmm. We can stop. We should pass this mm-hmm. and move on. We can come mm-hmm. back for those other things at another time. It's not perfect, but it's never going to be. Yes. And the thing that I was, what, what tipped me on this ultimately was, you know, I, I've always been... Uh, an infrastructure guy kind of try and always uh, be a mechanic and try and make things work. And I know that I could have gotten a lot of really good voting records that could have been used against a lot of people uh, in, in campaigns and painted people in a certain corner or a certain light. But while, while we do try and press our partisan advantages, we still have a job to do. And one of the things, and that gets me back to something I heard while campaigning last time. People are starting to get, well, starting. People are mad out there about how politicians act. Yeah. It has nothing to do with whether you get the job done. And that's, I think, the funniest thing about it. Because on some level, everybody understands. And sometimes in politics, you're just not going to get the job done. (laughs) You're going to fail. That's part of the gig. But... If you continue to act like idiots, <laughs> Montanans especially are going to, and pardon yeah. the rhetoric, but they're going to pull the trigger and get rid of you. Absolutely. Not like shoot you, but they're going to vote uh, a different correct, way. Correct. But, you know, it's <clears throat> when you have that in front of you and heard from so many people saying, why can't you get a job done? They were talking about the budget. It's the only thing that we actually are, have to get done. Exactly. Yeah. The rest of it is kind of, it'd be nice if you did some of it, but. Mm. And with that in mind, I looked at it and said, 
the, the greater good in looking at what was there rather than creating the partisan record was to protect the services for the people of the state of Montana. And so we move forward with it. The unanimous vote still for me is it's it's just to wake up and go, did I, that happen? I'm still trying to figure out exactly how we got to unanimous. <laughs> I was pretty sure we'd have a large chunk of this once we had sort of reached across the aisle and said, we're going to pass it out as is. But uh, to see that, I think it was then a recognition. I hope it was a recognition by all the members to say, we're trying. And we're going to get along. And we're going to show the rest of the country that at a certain point, we can actually find some common ground and at least accept that as something we can move forward. Well, yeah. And here's the thing that always kind of cracks me up. Like, people go, well, I, I've been elected and I have a mandate. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah but so did, so did everybody else. And unless you were elected with 100% of the vote, you don't have an absolute mandate. You couldn't be more correct. It's, yeah, I represent everybody in my district. Right. Democrats, and some people you disagree with. Independents, Tea Party, whatever. I, rep- I have to represent them all, and I take that very seriously. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I thank you for it. I thank you for the yeah. service that you've done, and I am flabbergasted that this worked. Yeah. I'm flabbergasted that it happened. Um, when I saw you on Monday, right before mm-hmm. this, and you were very secretive. We were down at Jorgensen's. I'm having a drink with my mom, and you were there, and you said, you know, tomorrow morning, it could be interesting. We'll either go down in history or go down in flames. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, you're in politics. You can do both. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I hope, I, I, I do believe that this was the right step, and that was exactly that night when the, the phone calls and the frantic, I mean, this, the, in terms of the actual, ultimately, agreement on whether or not we were going to do this was not finalized until we were all walking on the floor at 8 o'clock in the morning. Mm. We still had to have our caucus meeting in the morning to ask everybody or those that we couldn't to sort of find it to, to, to test them out to see if they thought it was a decent idea. And uh, it was, it, it, I've, I don't think I've ever been that nervous, if you will. And, but uh, part of it comes from, and I'll step back even a little bit and say, you know, I've served for three sessions now with, with uh, Representative Ankeny on the same subsection of the budget, section C, and we've developed a little bit of trust. Uh, so uh, how, how does a coal, a Republican coal miner from Coal Strip, you know, mm-hmm. get to be friends with a, you know, an urban legislator from, you know, uh, Helena, Helena. <laughs> yeah, and liberal legislator from Missoula. It's uh, because, again, it starts with, you got to have a conversation. You got to be able to ask a question and say, hey, what do you think? And not be able, and then pick up the rock and throw it at them because you think that because you disagree. Again, it's finding the common ground, and I think I think we did that, and I'm I'm pretty pleased with what we what we did. We'll see what the end product looks like in the end to see if we ultimately did the right thing, and um, sure we'll take some lessons uh, out of this. But right now, passing the budget out of the house unanimously, it's uh, it's it's something that was pretty spectacular to watch happen. I'm pretty proud of the work that's been done. Although knowing that there is still work to be done. So one of the things that becomes interesting about this is that it's a nice segue dovetails into a mm-hmm. discussion of uh, term limits. Yes. Because one of the things that has happened, like, uh, and, and I remember term limits, and you probably remember when they came in too, because it was right around the time that we were screwing up the university system and everything else. <laughs> we just decided to screw up everything all at once. Um, when term limits first came in, it was because we were so 
disgusted with the amassed power that had happened in various offices, uh, that it was an, we had an allergic overreaction and we passed term limits. And I think governments like a rosebush, in order for it to grow really well, you do have to cut it back every once in a while. But I think we cut it back a little bit hard and it hasn't been able to bloom since. So I, yeah. you know, now Good. when you're talking about how you had to build trust and work across the aisle, but it's been, you've had three sessions with Ankney and this mm-hmm. is the first where you've had this magical thing called true productivity and uh, bipartisanship happen on something as fundamental as the budget, it really kind of screams out, hey, we probably made a mistake. Yeah, term limits. Uh, you know, it's hard to sit here and say, you know, that, that, you know, I am a product of term limits. I doubt that I would, well, I know I would have never been elected, really, or had an opportunity to run had there not been term limits, thus opening up seats because people were leaving and moving on and doing different things. I mean, it went, right. you know, Senator, Senator Toole at the time would, he would have held that seat until he had decided not to hold that seat, you know. But he was termed out and was uh, then running for a different office, which is what created that whole shift that allowed me to get into office. So I sit here today as a product of term limits. But I've been around this process, as you've heard, you know, since '86, and have watched a lot of this happen. I've I miss some of that experience that we had. Um, some great, some just titans in the legislature that because of their, their, the length of their term and that they've been around so long that you never had to really educate them every session. Right. They knew coming in and they could be there and, and grasp issues at, you know, more quickly. Uh, but, you know, and that being said, you know, it's, it's just a different dynamic and I guess a different bunch of, of work that we have to do now and you know uh, new blood maybe not such a bad idea um are you know four terms is that enough not too many in terms of the time that that you serve in office so i i I struggle greatly with it because again remember regardless of what you say when the people that would be us when we say we want term limits. That's not a suggestion. It's an order. And, <laughs> right. and publicly passed initiatives, are, they're not suggestions. They're orders. And I, I'm taking it pretty seriously. And I guess until they, the public changes their mind, we're stuck. Yeah, I think the public has changed their mind. I mean, in talking to people about it, I don't think the term limits should be scrapped. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm of the, the mind that they are too short. Mm-hmm. They, um, I think that they should be changed over. Instead of being actual years, they should actually be a, a number of terms. Mm-hmm. So that actually, you know, you can serve in the Senate a lot longer than you could yeah. now. Um, you'd serve in the House twice as long as you would now. You'd serve in the Senate four times as yeah. long. I think that yeah. would be reasonable. And, it, it, you know, the Senate is a smaller body. It, it's expected to have a little more statesmanship, mm-hmm. which I always thought was funny, but, it, you know, whatever. Um, <laughs> that being said, I think that if, if we were just to make that simple change... I think we'd be better off. I still think we need term limits on the land board seats. I still, you know, definitely think we need one in the governor's office. Um, Just because we always need fresh perspectives at that Mm -hmm. level. But when it comes to dealing with how do we pass the mundane parts of how we function as a state, we need some institutional knowledge that we've scrapped much harsher than we intended to. Yes. And and I think you're talking about Bill McChesney's. Uh, referendum this time to that would actually change right to the so you could serve 16 years in either in, house in either house but that would be it you could run 16 in the house or 16 in the senate or go back and forth every four years until you hit your 16 mark yeah that's it isn't it that would be an interesting 
idea to consider. Again, it, it, the bill is uh, Representative McChesney is uh, bringing that up. We'll put that on the ballot. I think that's actually moving through. I hope so. Uh, I really do think that you know that's yeah. one of the areas where we we just we you know we shot ourselves in the foot unintentionally. Yeah, yeah. The, we tried uh, the, to cut corners. We yeah, used an axe. The latest well. amendment that was actually put onto that specific bill, it says yeah, it passed through. It said that yeah, you could serve sixteen years in either body, but uh, Senator Sales amended it to say that you could only serve sixteen years. Period. That's it. That's so all you could you only get. do sixteen years. Years and then so. you're done with. You know, if you do 16 you years in the legislature, the you the are legislature. done in the legislature. Yeah. So, and I, I, you, know, you know what? I'm I'm okay with that. I I was I've been thinking about that. I still haven't decided on that's eight on sessions. That. that absolutely is, and uh, you know, this is my fourth session. They um, and you seem to have got it. Four they, more, yeah, four yeah. more for you should be enough. They, they, uh, yeah, <laughs> they uh, they do take their toll on on your your families. I I really don't know how people from out of town do that to come in. I mean, it's uh, oh, it's got I, I don't I don't see my my wife and my son, uh, very much during the session. I, I, I regret that. It, it's hard, but you sign up for it, and I, I knew what I was signing up for, so I don't uh, regret that. But it does. These sessions take a toll, and uh, yeah, I wonder. Sixteen years, most people kind of say, you know, I've I've done my time. I, <laughs> yes. I, I gave it the office. <laughs> exactly. Uh. So. So speaking of, how is your son? Oh, very great, great. He's, now, he uh, is he's full on toddle mode, as I oh, like to say. So really? he's fourteen so, months now, oh, and uh, yeah, just speaking, uh, not quite yet, but full of all those nice bubbly, babbly words that you get from uh, <laughs> uh, kids at that age. So it's it's, it's pretty, it, it's a treat. So it's kind of instant stress relief when oh, you that's get good. home, though. So. That's good. So what else do you have coming up? The budget has passed over to oh, yeah. the yeah. Senate now. Um, you've obviously, I'm, I'm assuming appropriations still has to meet. Yes. You have plenty yes. of stuff to do. Yes. Um, what's coming up? Well, so we've got $9 billion of budget moved over to the Senate. So we don't no have. No big deal. We've no got, we got some little things left, things like, you know, the pension fix and the Medicaid expansion and uh, state employee uh. pay. And, of course, that that. Jobs bill or the bonding bill that I'm carrying, so you know, no, not not much left. Not much. <laughs> how how no. is the how is the bonding bill going? Okay, so yeah. let's back up and, and tell people what this is because this is basically a repeat of the bonding bill from last session. Correct, correct. correct. And that one, it's funny because it's um, Betty Betty. Why can't I? Betty Babcock. Betty Babcock. Yes. Thank you, um, former Governor uh, Babcock. First, first lady's uh, yes. wife uh, has been pushing for this, and I don't know if it was actually introduced three sessions ago. But I know that there was a push to get it introduced, and then it was <laughs> definitely in last year, and it failed. And it failed in a spectacular and odd way because uh, the Babcocks are Republicans. They're sort of the Republican dynasty yes, in the they state. Are. And uh, when that bill was shot down by the Republicans, there was a schism that was uh, formed in that party that I still don't think has healed. Yeah. And you're carrying the bill. Uh, I believe the letter after your name is a D. That's correct. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, how is that going? Yeah, it's it's moving along. Uh, just passed out of uh, House Appropriations just yesterday. Um, it's again the ninety million. It it, it 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 is. It's about that. Now there's been a couple of tweaks this session on that bill. So. What has happened, the couple of things that I've heard from people that have complained about a bonding bill or what's called the jobs bill now, House Bill 14, that is actually at the request of the governor now. Um, last session, it was at, it was me that carried that bill. I packed it along with the Senator Williams, uh, Carol Williams from Missoula. But it's, it's a 
bill that contains a bunch of different capital projects, that is, buildings that are designed to improve our two-year and four-year educational institutions. And but chief among one of those projects is the Montana Heritage uh, Building. Yeah, yeah. We well, it's the Montana Historical Society. Uh, Some of the yes, that does contain a museum component to it. But I've been trying to get people not to say museum because then they think of sort of paintings and you know things hanging on walls. Well, and and, yeah, has anybody has like go on? I'll ask the question. I form it better in my head. Because let's remember, the Historical Society as a state agency does a lot more than have static art displays. Uh, right. They, they maintain the state archives. So that is that part of the open government that is a constitutional requirement that if we want to find out exactly what government has done, they're in charge of the records. So you go find out what the government has done through them. They also have a component uh, of the uh, Indian Education for All, which is also a, a requirement from a court case in terms of school funding mm-hmm. that has to be done. And so they, they help out with that. They, they do education. That's and why they're in they the education have, bill. Isn't the state library part of historical uh, No, it, it, that's a separate, okay. separate. It's now the state library is a, is a separate agency. But again, the archives, the, the, the records, and, and the, um, of course, the, the displays that they have um, all sort of make up the historical society. And it's much broader than just what people think in terms of a museum. So here we go. We've got all these buildings we're trying to do. You know, we've got a, a science lab in Billings, and we have a diesel shop we're trying to get up in Haver. And we have, you know, the, uh, a new uh, classroom building down at MSU in Bozeman. And, of course, the granddaddy of it all is that new, uh, what, what was a college of technology last time in Missoula is now just a Missoula College because of the renaming of that, uh, mm. which is all of those <laughs> two-year what, they what used to be technical colleges. Now yes. Now, oh, well, they have to be part of the university system, system because we like everybody to be confused as to where you're going. That yeah, it's it's the regents and that, I need to have works. a chat. I yeah, I uh, you know I agree. I really appreciate with what the university system is doing in the regions in terms of trying to make a seamless flow of education. So if you want to start at a two-year college, you can, and then flow straight into the four-year colleges. Or if you start at a four-year, you can transfer into other different technical programs, whether it be computer programming to your trades and labor skills, to diesel mechanics, auto mechanics, nursing schools, medical transcriptions, all of those different sort of trades that you need to get, the people need to get educated for so they can be well employed uh it's it's so which improves our economy which, and the tax correct. base and makes the state better blah 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 you know so, little things yeah so that's the bill in a nutshell we're trying it's it's not that we're just trying to go on a building spree it's the fact that we're the buildings themselves will house programs which will then educate workers or students to become future workers and educated workers again if we want to have a world-class economy we got to have a world-class workforce so that people can fill in and take take up those jobs and be ready to the day they step on right. on the job so so it's a little bill moving. where and basically we're taking out a loan so that we can build these buildings correct bonding is it's called general obligation bonds so it's the creation of state debt or public debt however you want to say it uh, but it's yeah, it, it's used to f- to finance the building of these buildings, and anybody that has any sort of investments knows that the bonds are the the way you balance portfolios. It's what you know any mutual mm-hmm. funds use. It's what any anybody uses to sort of to to balance off all of right, those more riskier I'm, securities that you may right. be or equities that you may be be involved with. Because it's not 
as it's nowhere near as risky as the stock market. That's correct. Because it's not called gambling. It's, it's called backed, bonding. <laughs> it's backed by yes, ta- the taxpayers. Mm-hmm. So some people have a great deal of uh, concern about bonds, and they think that it creates debt that will, you know. Uh, burden the the future workers and and people you know our kids in the future by saying we already have too great of federal debt uh, we don't need more state debt to lump on top of that I just can't tell you how much I disagree with that philosophy the state of Montana does not operate nor can we constitutionally operate as the federal government does we ha- we are required to have a balanced budget mm-hmm. we cannot overspend. What the money we bring in versus the money that we can expend. Debt, the the create the creation of this debt is how you actually improve is one way to improve the the state's financial footing. Mm-hmm. We are because we are what's called a double A plus state right now for for loans. One of four. Correct? One of four. <coughs> it's we're trying to get back to triple A. We've only been there for a very short time under the Schweitzer administration. The, the recent recession sort of knocked us off of that. But um, it, it allows the state to then borrow at a really cheap rate. Now, what a bond does, you, you go out in the market and people come in and say, geez, I'd like to buy those. Basically, I'll buy your debt or I'll give you some money, the state of Montana, so you can do your things. Because you I know pay me back. that you will pay me back. And I'm quite certain that I know you'll pay me back um, over those 20 years because I know the state of Montana isn't going anywhere. You're not going to run out. I know where to find you. I can, I can I've get the seen money. a map. <laughs> yeah. So you, we get to borrow at a really low interest rate because people, we're, we're stable. Um, so we borrow that money at a low interest rate. You put it into what's called the state term investment pool. That in and of itself is then invested. And so we get interest off of the borrowing, which goes to help the state coffers. And then when we pay the debt back in 20 years, we become an even higher in a more secure uh, risk, if you will. So people then really want to come buy our bonds because we then move up to what's called AAA rating, which is the most solid sort of you know financial footing any government entity can be on. So this, this is how the financial markets work. This is how we also improve our economy by being sound financial stewards in the state. So here we are. I'm just – we're just – people, businesses, there's a, there's a reason why I have a coalition of folks that support this bill, the Contractors Association. And listen carefully here. The Montana Chamber of Commerce and the Montana AFL CIO. Which have- are three groups that <laughs> normally if you put them together in a room, you then have to set the timer for five minutes, walk casually away, and watch it explode. explode. They, they, they just – they don't get along. This is labor – and the chamber, and they've been at, at ideological ends since they were and created. And the contractors, which are a combination of labor and the chamber, in and of themselves, and are about Correct. as stable yeah. as uranium. So we, those are just the the big biggest three we have. The bankers, we've got you know all of the local chambers that have come in, uh, countless other folks that have come to support this effort because again. It's it's it, it's great for the economy in so many different ways. You get the immediate impact of building the buildings. That's jobs. About twenty four hundred jobs would be created out of all of these projects that are built. That's an immediate impact to your to your local economies. Then once the programs are instilled and, and, and students enrolled, they get training. They come out. They're ready to go to work straight into the the uh, the workforce. The diesel shop up in Haver right now at, at MSU Northern, one hundred percent placement. One. 
100% placement. You go to that program, you get a job. Mm-hmm. And they're clamoring for more. We've got, this is an, an opportunity for us to really, really help our economy. And I'm hoping I can convince just enough folks this time to, to move this bill along so that we can uh, really uh, start the economy roaring in Montana. So it passed out of appropriations yep. this week to the House floor. Mm-hmm. When is its first, second, and third reading? Uh, um, it will be, it, I, well, I think we have to have it transmitted by the 67th day, which would be Thursday next week. So I guess that means we'll the latest we'd have to hear it would be Monday, Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday because of two, second reading Tuesday and then third reading Wednesday, and then we meet the, the deadline to transmit. Wow. So, so I guess it will be early next week. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Sounds like fun. Um, how do you think it stands? Uh, right now, it, it has great support. The, the biggest opponents right now that appear to be coming at the bill are there's, there's this crew out of Missoula that... Uh, that are, don't want the college. That, that, well, they, they have this weird message of, and I'm not unsympathetic to it, but it seems a little off, the fact that the University of Montana has decided, or initially decided... I'm not even really sure what they are with this process, but to locate this new college on what's called the University Golf Course. Um, and it's not actually not even located on. It would only disturb one hole of the golf course, which the university said they would just flop over to the other side of the golf course so they can build the college and still maintain and keep the course open. And for, that, that way they don't have to get any new land. Correct. Which so, is expensive. Right. <laughs> that, that's the other component to this. That's they already own the land. So they, they're opposed to... To, to moving a to, hole? To, 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 they're NIMBYs. It, they, it, there's a bit of that. <sighs> I, I, but this is not the legislative process. It's not even part of the legislative purview to, for us to be saying where a building should be located. I think that's a local issue. I, yeah, we give you the money uh, for the building. We n- say build the building, building and you put it where it needs to be. Absolutely. So for those... Folks that have been coming, and I've been asked this question before, saying, "Should we should we say where the building should be built?" I said, "Absolutely not." Yes, the locals. Oh uh, no, it out. we should say it should be built in Montana. Yes, that's, that's pretty much it. <laughs> Thanks for playing, and, people. <laughs> and so I'm hoping that that sort of uh, opposition will be sort of held at bay, and we'll finance it, and then Missoula can go do what Missoula does best, and they can have uh, have those arguments and discussions, and figure out ultimately where that community wants to build the project. Uh, but the second group that kind of comes in, and it's a little bit more, uh, I don't know how to choose my words, it's, more, it's harder to pin down. Um, but it comes from a lot of the, the, what I would term the far right or Tea Partiers that have this just absolute view. You know, the federal government is broken. There's too much debt there. So debt anywhere at any level is bad. Therefore, if you try and do this, you... It, they don't it's understand how the economy works the, at all. That, the, I can call it. It's my show. <laughs> You know, I can say just about anything. So uh, everybody gets to have an opinion. Um, I just disagree with theirs. Consummate politician, you're so much nicer about it than I am. Uh, Well, so that's great. Um, You've got a couple other bills that you're interested in. Yeah. So yeah, the jobs bill is my one of my primary focuses this this session. But um, the you know, and then being the minority vice chair of appropriations means I pretty much have to shepherd that that budget and help shepherd that budget through the process. But you know, there, we'll get you a crook and a right, dog. <laughs> there, there are some other things, big financial pieces that we still have coming at us that I'm not as involved with, but will have a 
gigantic impact on the future of the state of Montana. The first one being uh, the state pension issue, and this is something these are this is the pensions for our state workers. We okay. call it Montana's Promise. If right. you came to work for the state of Montana and you put your time in and you invest, you know, and, and as part of your benefit package, as part of working for the state of Montana, you get a pension. Mm-hmm. Now, state employees, when you start the state of Montana, your base salary is set at 85% of the existing market. So if you've decided to go into public service, you automatically set yourself up to earn less than your, your private sector counterparts. Right. That's, that's sort of the nature of the game, and if you know that going in, you signed up for it, and that's, that's, that's what you get. Um, but the back side of that is you, you sign up, and there's, there's a pension plan, and some people view that as a way that they're going to secure their futures. And if we've made a promise <coughs> to people, I think we really, do, really need to make sure Pardon me. <coughs> we really need to make sure that we fulfill that promise. Yeah. So the pension fix and then Medicaid expansion. <laughs> do you need me to uh, get some water? or Might need to do that. Yeah. Hold on. Let me just stop this okay. for a second. And we're back. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Grab a little bit of water there before. So, um, yeah, you're interested in so, yeah, so the, Medicaid. The two other, yeah, those two, two programs again. The, the state pension plan and there, because of... Um, a, a, there's just some unfunded liabilities left with the state pension plan, and we're trying our best to address those uh, this legislative session so we can get them back on oh, what's actuarial soundness. Well, okay, so the question that I have on this one, because they talk about it's, it's $4 billion, is that right? Because they say that what the f- shortfall is over the course of the next 20 years. Mm-hmm. It, it's a complicated formula. And it, uh, and right, and it's based off of actuarial tables, how many people are going to retire, how many people are actually going to live long and actually be on retirement, how many are going to take their retirement right at as, as soon as they're available mm-hmm. versus how many people are going to wait until later or how many people are going to pull a Governor Perry. Um, I don't know if you can actually do that in Montana, but that's a whole different story. And and it's eliminating some of the issues of of spiking where people try and do to to maximize the amount of retirement uh, funds they get. They'll take, you know, try and increase their salaries or use vacation or time in terms of payouts to increase because you get your pensions based on your highest. Uh, average three years of, of of service, so they're trying to smooth that out, make it a broader uh, time frame, so that we don't see some people that are able to to hurt the system a little bit by by really maximizing it by pushing money a certain direction to make it look like it's salary when it might not have been salary. Mm-hmm. But you know, in the end, it's it, you know, it's it's how we take care of ourselves. So and, and again, so we're all living longer. That's good. We're starting. We have better and better health care. We're taking care of ourselves better and better. But because people are living longer, we start to have some uh, issues with pension plans and the fact that you know, we have to be able to pay those pension uh, rates out for the length of the time that the person is drawing the benefits. So yes, we're trying to get that fixed. It's uh, people always end up rolling their eyes a lot around this bill because uh, or these different pension fixes because it's really. Whatever you want the numbers to say, you could probably get them to say that in terms of if you're big. Well, yeah, because you're yeah. doing projections over time. My dad's an economist, it, and he was yes. always a forecaster as well. So yes. he's like, well, look, see, if we use these numbers, it'll tell you this story. Oh, great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, but it, but it is an issue. We do know that they're not balanced right now, and we have to try and get a fix. And that's what we're really pushing on this session. 
And then, of course, uh, the granddaddy of it all is this Medicaid expansion effort that's coming that um, is something... 60,000 Montanans. That would cover 60,000 Montanans. And in, in an effort, as we all know, regardless of where you fall in the healthcare debate, it is getting more expensive, and we need to figure out what we're going to be doing with it. And if we are trying to move forward with implementing the law of the land, the Affordable Care Act, uh, Medicaid expansion will, is a significant part of that. Mm-hmm. And it's something that we, we really need to consider. So those two issues will be working their way through at the end, and I will be not directly involved with them, but, uh, but making sure that uh, keeping an eye on them to see, see where we're at. Very cool. So uh, we're coming up on an hour, actually, oh, wow. really quickly. And um, what would you tell anybody who's looking from the outside in about the political process that we have in Montana? It's a citizen legislature, and we need to keep it, defend it, hold it close to your heart. Because if in Montana, unlike many other states, if you want to be involved, all you have to do is start a conversation. Ask a question. Get involved. Uh, if you want to participate, the system will allow you to participate at whatever level you wish to avail yourself. Um, I really do. When I talk to people, it's like, well, what got you involved? Why'd you do this? And they say, yeah, it, you just start. You, just, you can put your toe in the water, see if you like it. You like, you can do as much as you want. Uh, Montana is a very large state, not a lot of people. So we get to know each other. So defend your state political process to its core because that's what allows you this unique opportunity to be able to walk across the street to say hey to your your representative or to know your representative because you're going to see him at the door not just slick tv ads or or shiny mailers that that show up you're going to know who your representative is and i think that is one of the coolest things that we have going for us in montana you know your representative name and you know what what they stand for that's cool. So um, thank you very much for being on the show. You, you, you are more than welcome anytime you want to come back and talk about <laughs> the issues. I think it's been really great. Congratulations again on pulling off what is probably the greatest magical trick of <laughs> uh, any Montana session that we've had. And uh, I, I stand in awe. Yeah. Thanks. It was great to be here. And I'm glad I could finally make it. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Have a good one, everyone. We'll see you. I don't know when we'll have another episode because I'm not sure... When people are going to be around with the session going on, it is very difficult. Although, um, did talk to Denise, you know, and she goes, you know what? Now that the session seems to be winding down in a positive way, she might be able to make it on soon. So we're hopeful. Have a good one and uh, keep voting. <laughs> <laughs>